I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, we're continuing our conversation today on evangelization. We've been talking about this the last four weeks, ever since the the Feast of Pentecost, as this is what Pentecost has prepared us to do, is we've encountered the Holy Spirit and been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been given gifts and equipped to go out and to do what? To share the good news of Jesus Christ, not in a knock on the door and answer two questions kind of a way, but in a very personal, person-to-person, relational way evangelization. We're going to talk about that a little bit later here in the show with Sherry Waddell. She's the author of really the gold standard uh, in terms of uh, treatises on evangelization in in recent years. Uh, She wrote the book Forming Intentional Disciples, which this book really exploded uh, and was was sought after by parishes, by, uh, by parish leaders, as they attempted to look at this question of how do we one, how do we engage every person in the pew and and to get them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? And then from there to go out and be evangelizers. So that book, just a stellar book that's out there uh, from Our Sunday Visitor. Then she wrote a, a follow-up book to that uh, called Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples. And both of those, as you can tell from the title, uh, they seem to be more directed towards uh, to parish ministry. But there's a brand new book out, also on Our Sunday Visitor, uh, that is called Fruitful Discipleship, How to Live the Mission of Jesus in the Church and the World. And as you can imagine, that is a book that is for you and for me, for the person who's not necessarily in parish ministry, but who wants to live a, a life of faithful discipleship and really to figure out how to do this thing uh, in a non-threatening way. You know, we hear evangelization and we, we get these cold sweats and these picture uh, in our head of going and knocking door to door. And, uh, and this, is, this is not what the initial evangelization was. Christ, of course, walked for three years with his apostles, with his disciples. And they, they walked from town to town and Christ preached the good news, but it was in a certain way. It was to people who were already receptive. It was being uh, being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and not being scared to turn aside from your plans. And that's the biggest thing, I think, uh, that's hard for us in our Western mindset of, of schedules and making sure that everything is efficient, right? This idea that as I'm walking down the road, the person who inconveniences me, the person who... Uh, asks for my help or stuck at the side of the road or some, whatever it is, the person who calls me aside, that, that that's the person, that's the place where I have the opportunity to live as a disciple and to be an evangelizer, to, to bring the good news of God into a situation that that person uh, is needing. I think of James and John, uh, Peter, Peter and John going into the temple after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a beggar calls out to them and asks them for alms, and uh, they turn aside and 
and say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise. And so here this person is, and he inconveniences their day, and he calls them aside of where they were planning on going, and they go with it. They walk with it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, they they give life to this person by by bringing them healing. Now, you and I are not going to necessarily have that same situation in a, in such a profound way where we see the guy get up and go leaping and walking and praising God, but we are going to be able to give life in situations where we're inconvenienced, where we can recognize in the person who uh, interrupts our day, we can recognize the face of Christ in them. And in that moment, then we can bring through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bring life to them, whether it just be by uh, acknowledging them, by weeping with them if they're in the middle of crisis, by um, by giving to them if they have financial need and we have means. These are the ways that we can evangelize right where we are. Uh, in a conversation that I had recently, uh, someone was asking, have we become too specialized? Are we looking too much for the professionals to go out and do this work? And I, and I think the answer is yes. For a long time, we all expected that the priest was going to do all the, the work of ministry. Uh, and then now we recognize that we have a priest shortage and there, there aren't as many of them available to do that work. But I think somehow we expect that, well, but we've hired church staff and that's why we give uh, in the offering each week is so that there's someone to do the ministry. And the, the church staff, the, the parish staff, the pastor, they are there, according to Scripture, to equip the saints for work of ministry. And yes, there's something to be said for the specialist who uh, who goes and gets the degree and who understands a little bit more of uh, church teaching and, and socioeconomic dynamics and uh, how to, to navigate that. But the reason that they go and get this degree is not so they can do the ministry, it's so they can help us to understand, so they can help us to see what it takes for you and I to be a disciple. So as we continue to talk about evangelization today on Outside the Walls, uh, before we get into the interview with Sherry Waddell, I just want to talk to you a little bit about what may be required of you as a disciple of Jesus Christ uh, to go out and to be an evangelizer. The first thing is you need to reformulate this picture of what it means uh, to be involved in evangelization. Because we have this picture in our head, as I've mentioned many times, of going door to door and knocking, and and this is not the picture that you that you should have as your foremost picture of evangelization, because that's always going to be just a little bit intimidating. No matter who you are, that's a little bit intimidating. And so let's, first of all, reformat our picture of evangelization and realize that when God is calling you to be a disciple, to follow after him, and to be an evangelizer, he's asking you to do something that he's already equipped you to do. The evangelization that you are involved in may not look like the evangelization that I'm involved in, right? Because you have different giftings and personality traits and skills than I have. And so God is going to use you as you are, as he made you to be, uh, to, to make the greatest impact for his kingdom. In the book of uh, Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, we see Paul talking about uh, th this division rising up between the people of whether or not they were 
uh, disciples of Paul or whether they were disciples of Apollos. And and Paul said, um, what is Apollos after all and what is Paul? We're ministers through whom you came to believe, just as the Lord assigned each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. And this is important for us to realize as we go out to evangelize us, that we, first of all, we don't get to be a part of the entire process for every person. We have a part to play. Uh, So your personality and your giftings and the relationships that you have that have put you in a specific place at a specific time to be inconvenienced by the other person, uh, this is your task. You, if, as you are faithful to, uh, to engage in the relationships and the people that God's put in front of you, and do what you hear the Holy Spirit asking you to do, then that's your task. And then later someone else will come along uh, and they'll turn aside and and they'll have a task. You know, there's a a study that talked about a person who has no experience with religion. They have to have something like 26, I think it's 26 positive experiences with Christianity before they'll ever consider conversion. And so— Your task in evangelization is to share what you know of Jesus at a time when a person needs to hear it, right? As they inconvenience you, as you're called aside to see them and meet them in their need, uh, that's your task. You, You just do that much. And if you're an introvert, then you do that in an introvert kind of way. Uh, maybe for you, that means uh, writing a letter of encouragement, uh, when when someone's just really burdened on your heart. Maybe it means providing a meal for someone. Uh, maybe it just means not backing down and being faithful in your faith, maybe even a little bit overt in your faith, praying before a meal. All of these things in some way contribute to evangelization. In some way, as you allow yourself living out your faith to touch someone else, to, to intersect with someone else in their life relationally, because we are people of relationship, then in that moment, you have begun to do things that are evangelization. We mentioned in a previous episode that that encounter with Christ is the very first thing that we need to do before we can do anything else, that we have to encounter Christ, and out of that flows evangelization. But the second thing that I think we need to, to do in as we approach evangelization is to know what our gifts and strengths are, and, and to walk in those, to walk in those in a way that impacts and influences the kingdom. Now, earlier this week, before the, the convocation uh, over the, the 1st through the 4th of July, the, the USCCB Convocation on Evangelization, uh, I had an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Sherry Waddell about evangelization, about what she's seen occur over the last several years. And I want you to go and take a look at her website, siena.org, S-I-E-N-A.org, and take a look at that new book, Fruitful Discipleship, how to live out the mission of Jesus in the church and the world. In the meantime, why don't you join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. I want to know what you think. Tell me about your experience in evangelization. what, What opportunities have you had to be interrupted in your day and to let Christ into that situation? Join us over at OutsideTheWalls.com and stick around. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're continuing our conversation on evangelization. This is a topic we've been talking about since Pentecost. If you missed any of those episodes, you can go and catch them over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just click the episode archive, and they're all laid out there for you in chronological order. But no conversation about evangelization in in this time and this place would be complete without the contribution of Sherry Waddell. She's the executive director and co-founder of the Catherine of Siena Institute, uh, and she's the author of Forming Intentional Disciples, Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples, and most recently available on Our Sunday Visitor is Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of the Church. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Tim, for having me. So I'm looking at the just kind of the landscape of uh, evangelization in the church today, and I'm noticing that it really is people, it's getting a much broader acceptance and much broader understanding of, of what, uh, what our job is to be. Now, it's always been in the documents, uh, but I'm seeing from the Archdiocese of Detroit to the Archdiocese of Chicago uh, some very concerted efforts in making sure that people at all levels of the church understand this process. And so talk to me a little bit about uh, the changing landscape over the last 20 years of the, the, the evolution of the church's acceptance of evangelization. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this, uh, this Saturday, actually, uh, tomorrow, is uh, the 20th anniversary of the founding of the Institute. So, and I'm flying off to the Bishop's Convocation uh, to celebrate, but but uh, wow, I was a. Um, you have to understand. I I came originally. I was raised in the evangelical world, and I was preparing to be a missionary to the Muslim world. So I came kind of steep. But as a you know a young adult and a new Catholic, I was like floored and stunned. I spent most of my early days as a Catholic, just like going really. Um, I was always raising the wrong questions and people were getting mad at me and all this stuff because I, I just, all this was axiomatic for me, you know, the, the sense that you were, everyone's to evangelize it. Everyone's a kind of missionary. Um, and, uh, and of course I was preparing next to be one. So it was, um, it, it, so 20 years ago, did I understand all of this? No. Uh, uh, originally the Institute was founded. The goal was, I presumed everybody was disciples. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now Catholics were quiet about it. And I had struggled with that a lot, but I finally decided it was because they were all living the prayer of quiet Mm. because they were all profoundly united with God. And so they weren't going to talk about it. Well, whereas I came from the noisy, shallow end of the spiritual pool (laughs) and we talked about it all the time. So I had told myself that had to be it. So we were focusing on the theology of the laity and forming, you know, lay people, uh, preparing them to discern and answer God's call. But it was in that process of teaching people how to discern charisms that all these private conversations we were having with tens of thousands of ordinary Catholics that we discovered some of them would just tell us, I don't have a relationship with God. 
If you're just joining us, we're talking with Sherry Waddell. She's the executive director and co-founder of the Catherine Siena Institute. Find out more information at siena.org. Sherry, in your book, Forming Intentional Disciples, you talk a little bit about this. Can you give us an example of a time that you encountered this and how that changed uh, the way that you went about the work that you do? I mean, it, the turning point was actually 10, 12 years ago. I was doing a gifts interview in Canada and a major leader in the diocese. And I was listening to her stories and I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't hear the, you know, the sort of stories you would normally hear. And so finally, in desperation, I literally said, it would help me to know where to look for evidence of gifts in your life if you would just briefly just describe to me your your relationship with God so far. What's it been like? What I was, and it wasn't, this was not a trick question. Right. I, because typically charisms don't manifest in your life until after the point when your faith becomes personal. You know, so there's a turning point. I was listening for a point of spiritual awakening or some kind of conversion because I knew to look, if I looked after that in her life, that's where they would emerge. Mm-hmm. She just looked at me and said, well, I don't have a relationship with God. And I sat there and looked at her and thought, no, absolutely (laughs) impossible. No way you would not be doing all this stuff in the church if you didn't. And I spent the rest of the hour, like, just trying to get her to admit that it really (laughs) was there because it was inconceivable to me. And at the end of the hour, I realized she'd been telling me the truth in the first place. Yeah. So I went, came out of that thought, that was like the most amazing conversation I've ever had start asking this question more often Mm -hmm. and we did and that and time after time and stunning things rolled out of catholic leaders mouths when we asked that question and uh that's how we learned and we basically had to backtrack literally i said all the stuff we're doing is good but they're not ready for it yet Mm -hmm. because i'm running into practical agnostics out there um who don't have a living relationship with God, who are not yet disciples. And that was the catalyst for all the work in uh, making disciples and all that we've done since. Um, so it, was, it wasn't it was theoretical. <laughs> it came out of our ex- years and years of listening to real Catholics mm-hmm. in real places and, and getting this window on what living, the living experience of so many Catholics is really like. Sherry, all of these experiences and and research and interviews you conducted really went into shaping your book, Forming Intentional Disciples. And that book has really shaped the national conversation, specifically among parish and diocesan leaders, of how best to equip the people of God for the work of ministry. As you reflect on everything that went into that book— What do you see are the internal and external factors that have brought parishes and dioceses to a place where they are uh, more willing to engage in the work of evangelization? For the first 15 years, we would just keep talking about it and people just look at us. Right. (laughs) And they'd they'd be very polite. And I had these very well-developed little lectures on the theology of evangelization and all the stuff the church said. And people would go, yeah, that was nice. And they'd walk out completely untouched. And I thought, okay, well, that sucked. I got to try something else here. <laughs> so it was a, a tremendous learning process as you prayed and wrestled with, you know, how to talk, how to give Catholics imaginative categories for things they had never experienced and didn't even know existed. 
And uh, so we've been, I've been doing that for about 15, you know, I mean, a long time. It's probably been, um, by the time I wrote Forming Intentional Disciples, uh, we started wrestling with this in about 2006. And so the, then five years later, I had a chance to write the book. Well, the five years of wrestling with this reality is what enabled me to write the book mm-hmm. for me, Intentional Disciples. And um, so the big change I've seen in the conversation has been the last nationally and internationally has been the last five years, honestly. There has been a huge change in national conversations, the use of the language, grappling with this. And I think we were ready for it. I think the church had been you know, just years and years of struggling with the scandal and the implications of that, closing, you know, schools and parishes and all that all over the country, seeing young adults and youth just vanish. Um, I think finally, finally, we realized you can't, it wasn't just a matter of tinkering a little bit (laughs) with what we were already doing, you know, and everything would be fine and we'd be back to the fifties. Um, (laughs) Which, which a lot of people thought. But in some ways, though, you know, the, the fruit of the 50s and the vocations that we had at that point in time were actually the fruit of previous generations. And where we're living now is really kind of the fruit of the 50s. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, we, didn't, we, we had not yet acknowledged and grappled with the vast change in culture that occurred, mm-hmm. uh, you know, roughly that really hit the popular consciousness in the 60s. Um, and, you know, we didn't have language for all this. All we knew is that once upon a time, if you opened the church doors, you'd have mobs descend. I mean, one of the pastors I worked with in Brooklyn, who grew up in Brooklyn, he said, you know, we used to have cops in the street. We had seven masses on Sunday and thousands of people. You had to move them in and out as fast as possible because the numbers were so huge and the cops were out directing traffic all the time because it just... He said now, the, he lives in the same neighborhood, and he said now the churches are half empty, mm-hmm. and there's only a few masses, and you know, a whole lot of things have happened. So they move, they, all sorts of stuff, but that's the point is, we kept thinking, what happened? We were used to, if you build it, they will come. Right. Because that's what happens when you have 14 million immigrants descend upon you from all over the world right. for three generations. You know, and their children and their grandchildren, you're just, op- you're just all constantly opening institutions to take care of them because they were just showing up. You didn't have to go find them. You didn't have to evangelize them. They were there. Um, and that now we're in a totally different world, of course. Yeah. And uh, they're, now the young adults are streaming out. Right. And we know that, for instance, um, you know, half of millennial Catholics have already dropped the identity. Those raised Catholic have already dropped it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so we, I think it's a combination of finally coming to terms with all those changes. And then we have the providential, of course, uh, you know, sort of emphasis of John Paul II on the new evangelization and all this sort of thing. And it's like the penny finally dropped. We're going to continue this conversation just after the break. We're talking today with Sherry Waddell, author of the new book, Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of the Church, available on Our Sunday Visitor. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to hear what you think. 
Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on our daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're continuing this conversation on the topic of evangelization uh, and our task to, as, as ordinary Catholics to live out the gospel and not only to be missionary disciples, but to form missionary disciples. We're talking today with Sherry Waddell. She's the executive director and co-founder of the Catherine of Siena Institute. Find out more information about them over at siena.org. She's also the author of the, the new book, Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of the Church, uh, available right now on Our Sunday Visitor. And Sherry, one of the things that I notice in your story, and I notice in so many stories of of people who are doing big things, uh, is that all of these uh, amazing uh, charisms that that we see people walk into, whether they be the saints, whether they be people right now living faithful and fruitful lives, uh, is that they all started with a fiat, with a an, a small obedience to say yes to what small thing God asked them, and then God led them into the bigger thing that they now we see them mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Um, when I uh, there's a talk I usually give in Called and Gifted uh, about the discernment of personal vocation, and one of the big issues that always comes up is, um, you know, so like how how does it begin? And I always say <laughs> it begins by doing the next obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, the thing, the small thing, not necessarily the big thing that the thing that God is calling you to right now. Now, one of the things about having heard this many times in in talking, listening to Catholics, there's a strong tendency among a lot of Catholics to expect to remain small and to, and that God will only ask, will only do small things through them. (laughs) Um, And that's not the case. Your small obedience, see, part of the thing about a charism these gifts of God that you have been given, you and I have been given through baptism, through which uh, will be used to be instruments of God's love and mercy and truth and beauty and provision for others, okay? Mm-hmm. The fruit you and I might build by our small obedience, it, it isn't, how should I say, what God does with that can be much, much bigger than anything we had in mind. Right. His, the impact in somebody else's life, even, you know, you just thought you were, you know, inviting somebody over for dinner <laughs> and, you know, and, and you discover, whoa, you know, this enormous impact later. Um, it's because God, the, the charisms are, are not, are, they're, they empower us to do things only God can do. It's literally God working through us with our assent and cooperation. We see this in in the story that Jesus tells of the talents where he says, he who is faithful in the small will be given much. Yes. And as we, at the beginning of all great vocations, it's always been that small act of obedience. Now, one of those stories I love to tell is that of Margaret Howery, who was an Irish, a a penniless, illiterate, poverty-stricken Irish immigrant to New Orleans in the 19th century. She had lost everyone she ever loved, including her siblings, her parents, her husband, and her child. 
so she was alone and penniless and illiterate. And she turned out to be one of the great business geniuses of her time. But nobody could see that. You looked at her. She was very small. She was very plain. Mm -hmm. She was working as a laundress. I mean, no one looking at her would have seen that except God knew she was gifted and anointed in that way. But what she did is she knew, understood orphans and or being an old, she was an orphan and she understood it. So she went to the local sisters of charity and said, I want to help you raise money for your orphans. So at first she went out and she started begging and then she said, well, I can do better than that. So she, <laughs> she bought a few cows and she started selling the milk. She would have, she had a little cart and she'd do the rounds. Well, she started to make money. And then she said, well, I can do better than that. So she bought a whole bunch of cows and she had a big dairy and was selling lots of milk. And then she bought a bankrupt bakery in New Orleans and transformed it into this powerhouse. It was the first, it was high technology for the time. It was the first steam powered bakery in the South. She made an absolute fortune and she gave almost all of it away. And she, she said, you know, Catholic orphans, Protestant orphans, Jewish orphans, you know, widows and the poor at, all over the city. Um, and she used to, and she lived very simply. She lived over the store. She had like two dresses or something. Mm-hmm. People, she would sit outside in the afternoon and all the people of New Orleans, famous people, rich people, powerful people, and, and humble people would come and they would want to talk over their problems with Miss Margaret as she was known. She was known by her first name. Mm-hmm. When she died, okay, the whole city shut down. Her coffin was carried by all the former governors of Louisiana. There were 10,000 people there. And they immediately erected a statue in her honor. And you can see it's still there today. And she's this really plain, dumpy little woman with a few children at her seat. And they just said, Margaret. She didn't even need a last name anymore. They call her the bread saint of New Orleans. And the thing is, she did this all, and she never learned to read or write. Wow. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Sherry Waddell, author of uh, Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of the Church. So it really is this thing of uh, it, just accepting, first, being in relationship with God, having that relationship to be able to, to recognize when he asks you to do something, and then yeah. just saying yes to the next obvious thing. Yeah, and she did, that's exactly what Margaret did. She started very small, but she was open not only to the humbleness of the small task, but she was also open to God asking more of her and inspiring her to do something, the next thing. And that's almost all the great vocations have started that way. People, Margaret did not know she was the bread saint of New Orleans. Right. Okay. Mother Teresa, whose name, original name was Agnes, did not know she was Mother Teresa. Right. <laughs> Nobody around her knew it. She had to take, she had a call of God. She stepped out, took the first step, you know, and one thing leads to another. It's like snowball going downhill in the Rockies where I live. You know, right. it just accumulates, you know, gets bigger and bigger and more force. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but you're right. It all comes out of the riches you and I have been given in baptism, which include vocations, which include the charisms, which include these calls. Um, they're there, but they will not emerge in our lives until we deliberately seek to begin to follow Jesus as his disciple, 
in the midst of his church, you know, and, and saying, what do you want me to do? Right. What, what is it you want me to do now, right now? And, you know, if we're inspired, if we see something that really grips us, we go, okay, maybe that's my next practical, mm-hmm. obvious thing, the thing I can do right now. You talked about how uh, very often we expect small things of God, and yet in Scripture we see a couple of things. One, we see the Scripture that says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not even conceived the things that God has for those who love him. And then we also have this this beautiful passage uh, at, at the end of one of the epistles that says, uh, now to him, God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church. The God we serve isn't limited by our own uh, limitations. He gives us the gifts as we have need. Yeah, and they're for the sake of others. I want you. I want your audience to hear this. You're the fruit you bear. In other words, what God does through your yes in all these areas of your life, that will be the answer to somebody else's prayer. Mm-hmm. Because you are the one in God's economy. You are the one. You are the. There's someone out there waiting for what you have been given to give, and their life literally hangs in the balance. In God's providence, you are the one, and it matters that you say yes. It really matters, and it will send ripples out. You and I don't know. When I started, when I first received my call, I literally, this is what I thought. I thought small. I said, Lord, I have no idea what this means, and maybe it's all about one person. Maybe I'll be able to help one person whose call is so important. But I just reminded myself over and over, you have no idea what this means, which is really true. I really didn't know what it meant. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm totally astonished all the time. But, um, but, that, but the, the point, the main thing was I took the next step yeah. of obedience without any idea of exactly what God meant through it. Your new book, Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of Jesus in the Church and the World is available through our Sunday Visitor, which you can get to at osv.com. What's just the, the one thing, the, the gem out of that, that book uh, that will set all my listeners running to the website to pick it up? Um, I would say our riches are in our people, and mm. your riches, the the fruit God has given you to bear some is an answer to the prayers of the church and the prayers of the world. And there's real people out there waiting for you. Wonderful. We've been talking with Sherry Waddell. She is the executive director and the co-founder of the Catherine of Siena Institute. I want you to go take a look at that. Go over to Siena.org. See the good work that they're doing. And if you've not read any of her books, Forming Intentional Disciples, Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples, or this new one, Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of the Church, I strongly encourage you, go pick up a copy, uh, put it on your Kindle, read through it, and then go say yes to the things of God. Go say yes to the next obvious right thing. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back and continue this conversation with a reading from Scripture and then a reading from the apostolic exhortation of John Paul II, Saint Pope John Paul II, Pastoris Damovobis. It's uh, it's a great one. Don't go anywhere. 
Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. And for more exclusive content, become a supporter of the show over at patreon.com slash outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Just finished up a great conversation with Sherry Waddell, uh, co-founder of the Catherine of Siena Institute, siena.org. And actually, the conversation was last week, just before she went to the USCCB convocation on uh, of Catholic leaders. Uh, and this year, it was on the, the topic of evangelization. It was called The Joy of the Gospel in America, as leaders from all over, lay leaders and and uh, diocesan leaders, parish leaders, all over the U.S. gathered together to hear sessions, uh, breakout sessions, uh, workshops, to to figure out how together we can better push forward th- this uh, this goal of being evangelizers as Catholics. Uh, really, everything that I've heard from it, I, first of all, it was by invitation only, and I so wanted to be there, uh, but I, <laughs> I didn't get the invite. Somebody must have lost my address or something, but <laughs> uh, everything I've heard about it, it was just fantastic, and it represented in the minds of many a sea change in the way that we in America are approaching this topic of evangelization. That's, this is something that's been building for a number of years and finally has reached critical mass. And hopefully, we're going to see a very big turnaround as diocesan leaders from all over the U.S. begin to better understand and better equip the individual, you and me, to be strong evangelizers. First of all, this means making us into disciples, that we have had an encounter with Christ, that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that we've recognized our giftings, and then are equipped and unleashed into the work of ministry all across the U.S. in our own contexts. You don't have to be you know, a nationally known speaker. You don't have to have a radio program. You don't have to—you can do this work in your parish— in your town, and that be it. And that's perfectly okay, because we are called to walk in relationship with those who are around us, and we share the gospel with them in those contexts. If you missed any part of that conversation with Sherry Waddell, or you want to share it with someone else, good news, it's archived. You just go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on the episode archive, and lo and behold, There you'll find it, not only this conversation, but the last previous four weeks where we also talked about the topic of evangelization. Now, I also have uh, another segment that we uh, had a conversation with Sherry Waddell, and that's available for those people who are supporters of the show. It's very easy for as little as $2 a month. You can get tons of extra content. There are lots of different tiers and lots of different rewards. Uh, And you can go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on that Patreon link, look at the different levels and see which one works for you and get access to that extra content, that extra segment with Sherry Waddell. Now, we're going to continue this conversation today as we turn to Scripture and to a reading from church history. We're going to talk uh, this 
this reading from Church History actually was recommended to us by Sherry Waddell. It's one that's near and dear to her heart. And it's from Pastoris Dabo Vobis, which is an apostolic exhortation from Pope St. John Paul II. So we're going to start with Scripture. This Scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And we hear this. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew and I think directly speaks to us as we, in our first segment, we're talking about evangelization is not the work of merely of the professional, merely of the specialist. We see this, I give you thanks to Give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. And you and I are the little ones. And if we will listen, if we will be with Jesus, if we will uh, invest ourselves in walking with Jesus, he'll reveal those things to us and will use us in the way that he's made us to be used. And it's not a scary or overwhelming thing because he promises right there Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The work of evangelization is not a heavy work in that it is carried mainly by Christ. It's a work that he equipped us for as his disciples when he made us new. So I encourage you, take that time, encounter God, come to him and rest with him, learn from him, and go out and do the work that he has prepared for you. Now, let's take a look at this uh, this document, Pastoris Dava Vobis, which uh, means he gives us pastors, he gives us shepherds. And this is an apostolic exhortation that's written primarily uh, talking about increasing vocations to the priesthood. However, there are a number of sections, and part of the section we're going to read out of section 39 and 40 is going to address your role and my role as well, not just the role of the priest. So let's listen to this together. In carrying out her prophetic role, the church feels herself irrevocably committed to the task of proclaiming and witnessing to the Christian meaning of vocation, or as we might say, to the gospel of vocation. Here, too, she feels the urgency of the apostle's exclamation, "'Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel!' This admonishment rings out especially for us who are pastors, but together with us, it touches all educators in the church. Preaching and catechesis must always show their intrinsic vocational dimension. The Word of God enlightens believers to appreciate life as a response to God's call and leads them, you and I, to embrace in faith the gift of a personal vocation. But all this, however important and even essential, is not enough. We need a direct preaching on the mystery of vocation in the church. 
on the value of the ministerial priesthood on God's peoples. A properly structured catechesis directed to all the members of the church, in addition to dissipating doubts and countering one-sided or distorted ideas about priestly ministry, this will open believers' hearts to expect the gift and create favorable conditions for the birth of new vocations. As a kingly people, the church sees herself rooted in and enlivened by the law of the spirit of life, which is essentially the royal law of charity or the perfect law of freedom. Therefore, the church fulfills her mission when she guides every member of the faithful to discover and live his or her own vocation in freedom and to bring it to fulfillment in charity. This educational work, while addressed to the Christian community as such, must also be aimed at the individual person. Indeed, God, with his call, reaches the call of each individual, and the Spirit, who abides deep within each disciple, gives himself to each Christian with different charisms and special signs. Each one, therefore, must be helped to embrace the gift entrusted to him, as a completely unique person, and to hear the words which the Spirit of God personally addresses to him. That reading comes from this apostolic exhortation from St. Pope John Paul II, Pastoris Dabo Vobis. So the question that arises from all of this is, what is your gift? What has the Holy Spirit given to you to advance the kingdom of God? Through your personality, through your talents, through your passions, what is it that, that God has uniquely given you as a vocation to go out and do the work of ministry? There are a number of different ways to figure out what your gifts are, what your charisms are. Uh, one of the ways is to go to the, the Catherine of Siena Institute website, siena.org, and they've got a, an FAQ on charisms. What are charisms and how do you go about finding them? Just go to the siena.org and click on what we offer. And under that, you'll see called and gifted. And here under called and gifted, there's a called and gifted workshop. If there's one in your area, this is something that, that you would really benefit from being a part of. And there's that charisms FAQ and even scheduling a spiritual gifts interview there with the Catherine of Siena Institute. Now, if that's not something that you have the time to do, then go talk to your parish priest. Ask him what he sees uh, out, of, out of your spiritual life that would be a benefit to the church and, and a fit for the work of ministry there in your church. The most important thing I would say is move beyond simply Sunday mornings. Uh, start going to adoration, maybe once a week, maybe you only have time once a month, or maybe the parish only offers it once a month. Well, go and take that time and sit in the presence of Jesus Christ there in adoration. Because remember, evangelism always flows out of an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Second, you know, there's the, the called and gifted workshops we talked about, but there are a number of other retreats and opportunities for you to go and experience Christ. Find a way from your diocese and your location and your place where you can encounter Christ, you can come into contact with people who will help you walk into the fullness of your giftings and your charisms. That's all the time we have this week, but the conversation continues over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. 
Today's show was brought to you courtesy of Ryan and Sarah Jeppesen. Thank you so much for being a supporter of the show. If you want to be a supporter of the show, go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click on that Patreon link. Your support ensures the success of this show and gets you all kinds of cool extra content. Go take a look, OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.